This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. Child welfare agencies here and across the country were established to protect children, but statistics show that black children are more likely to be torn from their families and placed in foster care. For our panel discussion, I sit with University of Pennsylvania's Dorothy E. Roberts. She's author of the book Torn Apart, How the Child Welfare System Destroys Black Families and How Abolition Can Build a Safer World. We need to radically change our approach to child welfare to ensure that children have what they need and stop taking them away from their families. And Motown Phillies back again. Charity Howard's newsmaker this week is none other than Boys to Men. Yo, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Good radio, 1060. <laughs> That's coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Hello, and welcome to Bridging Philly. Child welfare agencies in every state across the country were established to ensure the safety of children so that these most vulnerable members of our society are free from abuse and neglect. Now, there are valid cases of abuse and neglect, but in this society of extra scrutiny of black people in particular, whether we're watching birds jogging in a neighborhood or walking home from a store, Just one call or claim to authorities where there is simply perceived neglect, such as a child wandering off from their parent in a park for a second, can result in a lifetime of anguish, unwarranted surveillance, job loss, incarceration, and more, including children, being taken from their homes. Joining me now is University of Pennsylvania's Dorothy E. Roberts. She is a George A. Weiss University professor of law and sociology and the Raymond Pace and Sadie Tanner Moselle Alexander Professor of Civil Rights. Ms. Roberts is also author of the book Torn Apart, How the Child Welfare System Destroys Black Families and How Abolition Can Build a Safer World. Welcome. Thank you, Raquel. It's good to be here. Now, Ms. Roberts, it is your contention that the child welfare system is best understood as a family policing system that collaborates with law enforcement and prisons to oppress black communities. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. I have to ask you, what evidence do you have to support this? And is it not fair for this to be called a sweeping generalization? Well, the evidence that this is a family policing system that targets black families, number one, are the statistics that show the intense surveillance of black communities and disruption of black families by the child welfare system. So, for example, a recent study showed that 53% of black children, that's more than half of black children, will be subject to a child welfare investigation before they reach age 18. One in 10 black children, or even slightly more than that, are expected to be removed from their homes by these agencies before they reach age 18. 
And black children are twice as likely to experience this disruption as white children. So the statistics themselves show a very intense involvement of disruptive child welfare agencies in black families. Now, we can also look at the whole history of child welfare policy in the United States and see that for a long time, the formal child welfare agencies ignored black children for most of the 20th century. And then as a result of the civil rights movement, there were demands for black people to get the same kinds of services that white people got. But when black children began to get involved, the nature of the system changed to be more aggressive at taking children away. And we see this huge skyrocketing of the foster care population as the policy changed from providing services to families in their homes to relying on taking children away from their families. And so policy also shows that this is a targeting of black families. And then we can look at the kinds of biases that have been shown in studies against black families. Mm -hmm. Just to give you one example, drug use during pregnancy. One study found that black mothers are 10 times more likely to be reported for drug use while pregnant than white mothers. That was a study out of Pinellas County, Florida. But other studies have shown this as well. It's well known in hospitals and in this field that black mothers are far more likely to be suspected of drug use, to be tested, and to be reported. And that's just one example. I could cite lots of studies that show this higher rate of suspicion and the greater willingness of child welfare agents to take children from their homes when they're black Mm -hmm. for the same kinds of problems that other families have. It's interesting because these statistics um, could be interpreted as, well, black mothers are using drugs more. But they're not. Right. They're not. So that study, for example, out of Pinellas County, Florida, that I cited, that showed that actually the white mothers in the study had higher rates of drug use, and yet the black mothers were almost 10 times as likely to be reported Mm -hmm. for it. And this is well known. There aren't higher rates of drug use by black mothers than other mothers. They're just suspected more often, and the kind of intervention in their homes is harsher than other families experience. Yeah, we're going to get some takes on that from different stories in the book that we're going to get into. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Bridging Philly. I'm Raquel Williams. With me is University of Pennsylvania professor Dorothy E. Roberts. We're discussing her book, Torn Apart, How the Child Welfare System Destroys Black Families and How Abolition Can Build a Safer World. You mentioned uh, something about the expansion of the foster care system. And in the past, you've mentioned uh, a correlation between the expansion of the foster care system and the prison system. Is this by design? This is no coincidence here. It's not a coincidence. It's not by accident. Uh, We can see the simultaneous expansion of foster care and prisons at the same time, and also during a period where, based on stereotypes that black women were having babies just to get a welfare check, we can see at the very same time the disinvestment in black neighborhoods, the end of a federal entitlement to welfare. So in the 1990s, for example, we see three policies being enacted by Congress, 
one, the crime control bill that sent more police officers into black neighborhoods and was part of the reason why we see this exploding prison population, of course, with black men and women at far higher rates of incarceration. And then in 1996, we get the welfare restructuring law, which ended the federal entitlement to welfare. So there's no longer a federal guarantee of income to help support families that are impoverished. And then a year later, another law in 1997, which most people don't know about, but this law called the Adoption Safe Families Act was supposed to address this massive child welfare or foster care population that at the time was mostly made up or the largest group were black children. Now, black children are a minority of children in the United States, but the largest group of children at the time in foster care were black children. They were at the time four times more likely than white children to be taken from their families. And the response to it was not to get more support for black families to keep children from being placed in foster care, but instead to terminate the rights of parents. And this law incentivizes for states to speed up termination of parental rights. Mm -hmm. And so we see this confluence of the buildup of prisons, but also harsher interventions and even termination of parental rights. That means that this family no longer has rights to custody of the children. The parents have no legal relationship and the children can be adopted to strangers without any longer any relationship to their birth families. Have you discovered that this is the case all across the country or are there child welfare uh, systems in certain areas that are, say, fairer to people of color? Well, there's a variety of rates of child removal and racial disparities, what's come to be called racial disproportionality in Mm -hmm. child welfare. And you find that some places, Minnesota, for example, has a very high racial disparity. The city of San Francisco has just a mind-boggling racial disparity where hardly any white children are taken. They're mostly pretty well-to-do but there are some housing projects in San Francisco with mostly black residents, and there's intensive child welfare agency involvement there with high rates of foster care placement. And so you you get these differing um, numbers, which you might not even expect. So, so it's not always that it's the city with the most, you know, the highest black population that has the greatest disparities. I don't know of any place that where there's racial equality in the removal of children, nor is there any place that has so radically changed its approach that it doesn't rely on threatening families with child removal. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. More than 100,000 people in the U.S. are waiting for a life-saving organ transplant. More than 5,000 from this area alone show you support them. Register as an organ donor at DonorsOne.org and help save lives. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 103.9 FM. You know, the book is interesting because it's a take that I never really thought of. I mean, we've heard of little stories here and there, but to compile all of these stories into this book with the statistics is just startling. As a matter of fact, I did allude to a story of a woman named Vanessa out of Aurora, Colorado. Um, And that's an example of a book where someone 
called the authorities because her child kind of wandered off for a second in the park. Why don't you tell us about that story? Sure. So Vanessa Peoples, a young mother of two in Aurora, Colorado, was enjoying a picnic with her family. And she had asked her cousin to watch the toddler, the younger son, while she was playing with the older son. And when the cousin left the picnic, her toddler wandered after the cousin. Now, Vanessa saw this. She was beginning to go after her son in the parking lot. But before she could get to him, she saw a passerby on the, her cell phone. She arrives, and it turns out the passerby had called 911 to report this child to the police. Vanessa thought, okay, uh, she happened to be in poor health, so she didn't fight with this woman who refused to give her back her son. Yeah. She thought wow. the police will arrive, everything will be fine. But when the police officer arrived, he originally wouldn't believe it was Vanessa's son. The family had to come and vouch for her. She got her son back, but the police officer gave her a ticket for child abuse. Oh, gosh. And that then threw her family into the clutches yeah. of this family policing system. And uh, about a month later, she, there's a knock on the door by a white caseworker. She doesn't hear it because she's in the basement cleaning up after the children. Right. That's where uh, they, she lived with her mother in mm -hmm. a basement room. And uh, the children had just gotten a bath. And eventually, the, the caseworker, because she doesn't come to the door, calls the Aurora Police Department, and wow. three officers arrive. Now, there is a back and forth in the home. Oh, by the way, Vanessa comes up the basement steps and finds an officer pointing a gun at her head, a loaded gun at her head. Uh, they refuse to leave. They start inspecting her home. She wants to get into the room where her mother has gone with the children. And one of the police officers grabs her by the neck and throws her to the ground. Two other officers get on top of her. They shove her arm behind her back, handcuff her arms, and cuff her at the ankles, chain her arms. She's hogtied. And she's hogtied. She's literally hogtied. <sighs> wow. And in the process, they dislocate her shoulder. She's mm -hmm. in this excruciating position for at least 30 minutes before the hospital workers come to take her to the hospital. And uh, that's not the end of it because now she's entangled in this family policing yeah. system and she has to have supervised visits and go through all sorts of tasks in order to get out of it. But she's still not out of it because in Colorado, as in most states, once you get an accusation, you are put in a child, uh, and it's substantiated. And she ended up pleading guilty to reckless endangerment to avoid going to prison wow. for child yeah. abuse, Look right? All out of a child wandering away. For a second, yeah. And now with her name as a child abuser in the registry of the state, she cannot get a job as a nurse. She was in nursing school when this happened. So she has been set back economically. There's just no way you could say this helped her family at all. That story is just one of many stories, and it's so disturbing. And, you know, the, the officers were there, but 
no one opened the door for them. You right. know, we want to point that out. That's they right. made their way inside exactly. the home with no search warrant or anything. Well, that's that's a good point. So many people don't realize that the Fourth Amendment applies to any government agent who wants to search your home. It doesn't just apply to police officers. Hmm. So under the Constitution, caseworkers coming on a child welfare investigation should have to get a warrant and show probable cause for the search. And in most jurisdictions, they do not do that at all. They just show up. They intimidate parents into letting them into the home. Sometimes they come with police officers, which is also very intimidating. And there is really a big gap in the law about this, uh, with very few states recognizing explicitly that caseworkers should have to get a warrant to search a home. Now, I'm happy to say that the Supreme Court of the state of Pennsylvania last year ruled that the Fourth Amendment applies to caseworkers in a case where a, a housing activist had been protesting in front of the Philadelphia Public ha- Housing Authority, and someone anonymously called up CPS and said that they thought that she hadn't fed her child during the eight hours that she was protesting in front of the housing authority. They sent a caseworker to her home. Now, she is aware of her rights. She refused to let them in. They returned with a police officer. She still refused to let them in. And the DHS, our Child Protection Department, got an order from a trial judge that she had to let them in. She appealed it all the way up to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, and it ruled in her favor that it was wrong for caseworkers to, and this trial judge, to allow uh, these agents into her home without probable cause. There was no reason why they should have to search her home. That would not have told them anything about whether she fed her child right, right previously exactly. for those eight hours she was protesting. And, you know, in the opinion of many people who've looked at this case, it was a retaliatory call mm. to CPS against her, which is another problem with this system that many people have experienced retaliation from you know, ex-boyfriends or ex-girlfriends or a neighbor who has yeah. a beef with you, a teacher who doesn't like the child, you know, whatever right. reason. And that then turns service providers like teachers and doctors and public service providers into places of fear for families. They're afraid to go because they worry that they're going to be wrongly accused of child maltreatment and eventually might lose their children altogether. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Bridging Philly. I'm Raquel Williams. With me is University of Pennsylvania professor Dorothy E. Roberts. We're discussing her book, Torn Apart, How the Child Welfare System Destroys Black Families and How Abolition Can Build a Safer World. What do you think the intense surveillance of black families by the welfare system is about? Is this a continuum of the uh, separation of black families that were seen during slavery? I trace it back to that time. Mm. I think you have to look at the history of the relationship between the government and black families. And to do that, you would have to go back to the slavery era where black families, black parents had no 
legal authority over their children. White enslavers had authority, complete authority over children. Mm. And family separation, selling off a mother or a father or children separately, was a common part of the slavery system because it all depended on the economic interests of white enslavers. And if it was in their interest or if they wanted to punish a family, they could split the family apart. At auction, family members were sold off separately from each other. And that idea that the black family needs to be supervised by white people, Mm -hmm. uh, that the black family is... Uh, you know, it doesn't have any integrity. And I think the purpose is to distract us from the need for ending racism in our society, structural racism, which is the reason why so many black children live in poverty in America, why they don't have secure housing, why they don't have adequate nutrition, why they don't have adequate education, why they don't have adequate health care. It's not because of pathological parents that the greatest harm to children is structural inequities that deprive them of what they need. So if the child welfare system is ultimately abolished, what could actually be put in its place? What could be done? We need to radically change our approach to child welfare to ensure that children have what they need and stop taking them away from their families as the answer. Wow. So many eye-opening stories in this book, frustrating stories in this book, but the the conversation definitely needs to continue when it comes to the child welfare system uh, in America. We've been talking with Dorothy E. Roberts. She is author of the book Torn Apart. How the Child Welfare System Destroys Black Families and How Abolition Can Build a Safer World. Dorothy Roberts, thank you so much for joining us on Bridging Philly. Thank you. I really appreciate this conversation and your attention to this important issue. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. More than 100,000 people in the U.S. are waiting for a life-saving organ transplant. More than 5,000 from this area alone show you support them. Register as an organ donor at DonorsOne.org and help save lives. Back to Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Philly's own Boys to Men came to town recently, and Sharaday Howard caught up with them in Center City at the Hard Rock Cafe's 25th anniversary celebration. Hey guys, KYW News Radio. Hello, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? How you doing? News Radio 1060. <laughs> so you're back to Philly. Eagles are happening. What are you guys thinking? You might want to ask him. I mean, I'm I'm Eagles through and through. You know what I mean? Um, born and bred in it, and um. I just uh, I feel like we got a good chance, you know. It's going to be a good game. You couldn't ask for a better, you know, a better game, you know. Number one against number one. Number ones against number ones. It's no, there's no fluke that both of these teams are in this Super Bowl. You know, they got they're they're there for a reason. So every every player has to play their hardest. I mean, this is the the game is on the line. The Super Bowl is on the line. That's what I'm talking about. Yep. Now it's Black History Month. You know Philly's got an issue with some crime. We got an issue with black going on. What's the message you want to send the kids right now? Oh, I think one of the one of the biggest struggles with kids today is that they, you know, I know it sounds really harsh to say it, but they, they don't really listen. Um, a lot of kids think that they know it all, and you know there are people that have come before them that can may not have all the answers, but can guide you in a certain way. But 
it's tough when you're you're forced to experience things all over again for no reason when people can kind of guide you in the right direction and kind of help you go the right way but they're going through this stuff for no reason the stuff on the streets the crime the, like we, we know how to help you avoid those but most kids don't want to listen and that's enough you know? so bridge and philly with your music you came back you went to kappa you're like philly philly through and through what's a good message you want to shout out to philly right now well philly is one of those cities man that when you grow up in it and anywhere you go no matter who you are people tend to know where you're from and one thing we've always tried to do is carry carry that light wherever we go you know to take our city along with us because people know you know philly's a it's, a it's a tough place to grow up in it but people talk about new york if you can make it anywhere but if you can make it in philly you can make it anywhere too amen to that amen amen thanks for joining us for bridging philly brought to you by gift of life donor program organ donors save lives be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly, at Raquel on Air, and at Shara Day. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. For Shara Day Howard and our producer, Patty McMahon, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well.